You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled, What is Necessary in These Urgent Times? This is Lecture 10, entitled, The Foundations of a New Social Form, given in Dornach on February 6, 1920. In the various lectures that have been held here recently, the topic has been, What is Necessary in These Urgent Times? Human beings must become accustomed to the idea of taking up the impulse that wants to enter the physical world. We have seen that for about sixty years there has been a conflict in European life which began some time in the last third of the nineteenth century and in which lies all of the original causes of recent confusion. I have told you before about the fact that everything happening currently is taking is taken much too lightly, insofar as people are not willing to admit that Europe has led nothing more than a shadow existence during the twentieth century, that it is broken and cannot be pieced back together. This crisis is comparable to the crisis that occurred at the end of the Roman Empire, as Christianity was gradually introduced and everything that had been in existence prior to that was swept away. Something entirely new has developed. Anyone who has an insight into life will submit to the broad perspective that everything erected since the first Christian centuries has collapsed. Let us examine those things for a moment. The mystery of Golgotha was there, but the mystery, excuse me, but the existence of the mystery of Golgotha and the understanding of the mystery of Golgotha are two separate things. We can make this clear by way of a comparison. Let us imagine for a moment that we are looking at a man who has this or that thing within his soul or in the impulses behind his actions. If a child were to consider this person, it would make some judgment of him, but its perspective is a childlike one. Then we could imagine that someone who was somewhat educated, who had grown up, could also develop some perspective of his own on this person. This perspective would be a more mature one. But not every person who had a more mature perspective would have a satisfactory knowledge or understanding of the person in question if that person were something of a genius. In that case, it would be necessary for others who possessed a genius of their own to develop an accurate perspective on this person. Here we have something that exists under these conditions. A person exists, and it is possible that there are several different understandings of that person's existence. The same is true throughout the passage of time as regards the occurrence that brought Christianity into the world. This occurrence happened at some point in history. It stood at the moment that began our modern civilization. The understanding brought to Christianity, up until now, this understanding is fundamentally rooted 
in the views, in the ideas, in the understandings that people were able to take up with the foundations of soul that replaced the soul foundations of the ancient Roman Empire. To substantiate this idea, you need only take a look at the now-fallen Austria, which essentially, with the exception of just a few isolated people, had a culture, meaning not only a spiritual culture, but rather a culture that stretched across all avenues of life, that at its core dated back to the first Christian centuries. Therein lay the seed of its decline. People did not want to believe this, but everyone who was familiar with these matters could see this clearly. And the same was true of the rest of Europe as well. Europe was built on very old pictures of the world, and thereby on the basis of an older spirituality. And the mystery of Golgotha was understood from the perspective contained in these old imaginations. But these old imaginations are now obsolete. They are no longer sufficient for providing present-day human beings with an understanding of what occurred at Golgotha. Because of their conservative tendencies, people would prefer to continue seeing things from these old perspectives. In the depths of human souls, however, there is a demand for a reformation of Europe and the entire civilized world. This is the great conflict that can be noted at the base of European culture during the last sixty years or so. Something is trying to take form, but the conservative imaginations of people suppress it. Any time a raging river is dammed up, an explosive overflow must eventually follow. This explosion has arrived in European culture. It is the years of fear and terror that have entered life now. They are nowhere near ending. They have really only just begun. The important thing now is that we build the foundations for a new understanding of life on the basis of spiritual truths. Those who are opposed to such an understanding of life, they are comparable to those who stood against Christianity during the days when Christianity spread from south to north. The waves of evolution pass such people by. But such people can bring about much strife, and a great amount of conflict and strife is caused by such people to this day. Let us consider these matters concretely. Anyone who takes a look at those things that came into being and could be observed before 1914, and even to a certain extent during the last few years, when the catastrophe began, that person will see that on the map of Europe there were certain so-called borders between countries. Why these borders had developed in such a way over the course of centuries that you can follow throughout history. But through a true unbiased consideration of that history, you will come to see that these countries, from immense Russia down to the smallest nation, came from the influence of the Christ understanding, meaning the Christ understanding as it had been taken up in society during the time of the so-called migrations, during the time of decadence in the Roman Empire. By 1914, to name a particular year, these relationships, which were expressed in, in quotes, borders, drawn onto the map of Europe to delineate countries from one another, had already become completely unnatural. 
There was no longer any truth in these boundaries. There was nothing in them that offered any inner stability. And if you believe it is possible that something that no longer held any truth in 1914 could be used to hold things together now, you are barking up the wrong tree. And those things, too, which are built on the basis of those relationships, are likewise far from viable. So how do the people in Europe, along with their American brothers and sisters, intend to shape the civilized world? Let us take an unbiased look at what the European people, along with the Americans, intend to transform the civilized world into now. They intend to create something that, during the migrations in the first centuries after Christ, might have come into being from the perspectives held by the Goths, the Vandals, the Lombardians, the Heruli, the Cheruski, and so on, the perspectives held by the Romans before they were moved by Christianity. It did not come about then, although at that time people did not press back against the course of events with the same conscious strength that they do these days. But let us imagine hypothetically that Christianity was not allowed to spread as it did, that instead people had wanted to create a unified Europe, pieced together out of the worldviews of the East Goths and the West Goths, the Vandals, the Lombardians, and so on, as well as the remains of the old Roman Empire. It is an impossible imagination of Europe. The possibility of Europe as such came about only because a spiritual impulse entered it. And this spiritual impulse, it entered Europe through Christianity. Without this spiritual impulse, which changed everything, Europe would not have developed into anything from the 4th or 5th and 5th through the 20th centuries. Think about a Europe without the impulse of Christianity during those intervening centuries. You cannot imagine it. Think for a moment about what has remained from what the Goths, the Heruli, the Lombardians and so on brought into Europe. You will have to admit, the impulse of Christianity changed everything. If at that time the Lombardians had suppressed that new impulse as strongly as the Czechoslovakians or the Poles or the French, for example, are suppressing the new impulses of today, then the impossible situation that I laid out hypothetically before you would have occurred. And so if the Lombardians had said, we want nothing to do with Christianity, we want to stay Lombardian, they would have been acting in the same way the Czechoslovakians, the Magyars, Hungarians, or the French, the English, and so on, are acting today. There is a desire not to take up the new impulse. But without a new impulse, Europe has reached its end. Nothing will come of it, Europe is in the same position that the Vandals, Goths, and Lombardians were in were in at the moment when Christianity had matured enough for its impulse to enter European civilization. The vast majority of people are afraid of this idea. You are perhaps surprised to hear me say that people are, in quotes, afraid of it, because your perspective might be that actually they oppose it on the basis of this or that life principle or logical reasoning or something of the sort. This is not the case. The reason that they oppose it is unconscious fear. When you are consciously afraid of something, you cannot understand it. People invent logical reasons. They invent all sorts of observations 
that they imagine they have made in order to find some opposition for this thought, when in actuality they are simply afraid of it. But they will not admit to this fear. But the times are so urgent that it is essential for us to look unflinchingly at these matters. It is necessary these days to speak of things that may sound paradoxical to the majority of humankind. Christianity also sounded paradoxical to people when it first began to spread throughout the world. You need only to imagine how it sounded to people when a proselytizer of Christianity went somewhere, let us say, for example, to Alsace in Switzerland, where people still worshipped the images of Wotan, or Woden, or Odin, or the god Saxnot, or Saxnit, and so on. It was an utter paradox. Today it is paradoxical for people when you say to them that anthroposophically oriented spiritual science must speak both to a new impulse and simultaneously to a new understanding of Christianity. Except that now everything must be more conscious. Now everything must be more focused than people were capable of back then. In particular, one thing must be grasped as acutely as possible by human beings living today. We have a so-called scientific and intellectual life. One aspect of this intellectual life I described to you in the lecture last Sunday. I offered you a picture of the character that this intellectual life has taken on in the English-speaking world. Do not think for a moment that this intellectual life exercises no influence upon daily life. What our children learn in school, starting from the time they are six years old, this gives form to their souls. It forms the entire human being. And people walk about in the world today in the form they were given from their existence as schoolchildren, which at its core is strongly influenced, particularly now during the spread of newspapers and journals much more than you realize, enormously influenced by what in the upper tiers of intellectual life is referred to as science. This science, it is experiencing great outward success. It has brought us to an age of telephones and airship rides. It has brought the wireless telegraph machine. In this whole area it has generated a tremendous amount of excitement. But I have often drawn your attention, in the past, to a peculiarity of this science, a peculiarity of the whole of our knowledge. This lies in the fact that we can understand everything with it. We, un we can understand machines, we can understand minerals, we can understand plants, we can understand animals. But with this science, we can understand next to nothing about human beings. <laughs> the fact that people respond to this by claiming that human beings evolved from animals, that a person is an animal at a higher stage of evolution, this claim shows that they do not understand human beings at all. It is not because human beings are actually descended from animals, but rather because people do not truly understand anything about human beings at all, because they can only express the world pictures which they possess, that they claim that human beings are descended from animals. Truly this idea is simply a prejudice of these times, which have no science that allows people to understand the nature of human beings. At present we are not in a position to acquire any knowledge of the human being through our education and culture. When we say knowledge of the human being, 
We cannot mean the haphazard collection of various imaginations that people dream up about themselves nowadays. A true knowledge of the human being can only come out of a knowledge of what composes the true human being, the genuine human being. When we study everything on earth, using the methods of contemporary science, we will be able to build machines with the knowledge that we gain. We will be able to give form to mechanisms but we will never be able to grasp any knowledge of the human being using those methods. This is precisely why anthroposophically oriented spiritual science is there, to make the human being understandable through a relationship with the more than earthly. People today have a feeling, although they do not allow it to enter their imaginations of the world, that the human being can only be understood through relationships with the more than earthly, through supersensory means. And so it is that for these people no science exists to achieve this. For hundreds of years the world has struggled with this fact in many peculiar ways. I want to give you one example, there are many that we could name, of how people have struggled with this fact over the centuries. During the beginning development of what you have known for years as anthroposophically oriented spiritual science, at that time there were some people who encountered the foundations of this anthroposophically oriented spiritual science that I was offering and said, we would rather delve into the writings of the mystic Meister Eckhart or those of the mystic Johannes Tauler. With them everything is much simpler. With them we can feel good about ourselves as we muse, I am delving into my inmost depths, I am encountering my better half, my elevated eye has found the godlike person within me. But this is really nothing more than a refined form of egotism, nothing more than a return to an egotistical personality, a way of fleeing from collective humanity, a form of self-delusion. In the 14th and 15th centuries, at the beginning of the time when people were losing their ability to truly understand human beings, it was clearly necessary for souls like Meister Eckhart, like Johannes Tauler, to come into the world, people who pointed to a person's inner life as a way of seeking knowledge of the human being. But now the time for this has passed. Now this immersion and delving into the depths of your inner life no longer suffices. Now it is crucial that we properly understand a particular aphorism spoken by Christ. This is the example that I was referring to, one of the most important and significant aphorisms that Christ spoke, which goes something like this, When two or three people are united in my name, then I stand among them. In other words, when someone is alone, the Christ is not there. You cannot find the Christ without first feeling a connection to collective humanity. You must seek the Christ on a path that brings you together with all of humankind. In other words, being contented solely with one's own inner experiences leads one away from the Christ impulse. This is the unfortunate turn taken especially by the Protestant theology of the 19th century that it takes up the impulse of having simply individual egotistical inner impulses of the Christ. There is one crowned head in Europe, one of the few that is still crowned, 
who constantly reports at every opportunity, receiving regular spiritual knowledge. Quote, I have personal knowledge of the Christ, he claims. This crowned head is satisfied with this, but there are many others who say similar things. But this is precisely the great misfortune of the present moment, that people do not have any interest in collective humanity, not just individual human beings. We only come to really know ourselves when we first understand human beings as such. But we cannot understand the human being as such without seeking its origin in the more than earthly. Think for a moment about how the more than earthly origins of the present day form of human beings are sought in my book titled An Outline of Esoteric Science. This book is so disagreeable to people for no other reason and because it turns away from all misbegotten knowledge of human beings and instead derives the human being from the whole of the cosmos, from the more than earthly cosmos. This understanding is crucial in these times. In this age we must resolve to incorporate spiritual sources of knowledge into all of our current fields of study. Here lies the call it fault or call it oversight, it makes no difference which word one uses, because the issue is not about words, in what must be characterized as stemming from our universities and secondary schools of science, from those people who have the final word when one speaks of what people can and cannot know. The world takes up everything that comes out of European and American universities regarding the so-called wisdom of humankind as well as everything they produce about social or technical wisdom, ignoring all those things that human beings are able to learn from within themselves. When someone today seeks out a position of leadership among human beings, even if it is a relatively low position of leadership, that person has no access to anything that would help to gain any true knowledge of the human being. And without that human knowledge, there can be no social life. Without that human knowledge, there can be no renewal of Christianity. You can become a theologian without having the first clue about the true meaning of the mystery of Golgotha, because most theologians today do not even know who the Christ is. You can become a judge today without having the slightest clue about the true nature of human existence. You can become a doctor without having the slightest clue about how this human existence originates in the cosmos, without knowing about the relationship between a healthy body and a sick one. You can become an engineer without having the slightest clue about the effect that some sort of construction has on the entire course of earth evolution. And you can become the brilliant inventor of the telephone without having the slightest clue about the significance of the telephone in the whole of earth evolution. People lack a vision of human evolution. We all have a need to build a little circle around ourselves and set up a little routine in this circle, exercising it egotistically, such that we do not pay any heed to the place that the actions we are taking have within the whole earth picture. If we were to build houses in the same way that we build a foundation for our existence these days, those houses would collapse almost immediately.
If we were to shape bricks in the same way that we shape and develop our theologians, our jurists, doctors, philologists, and especially our philosophers, and if we then were to build a house with those bricks, that house would not be able to last more than a week. On a large scale, people do not notice this collapse. Things have been collapsing slowly and consistently since the last third of the 19th century. People do not know a thing about this. On the contrary, people are speaking nowadays about the tremendous recovery we are experiencing. And some people are even picking up the old used bricks and claiming that we can build a new world out of them. We cannot build a new world except by allowing a new spiritual impulse to enter the very foundation of our civilized world. People will be able to slap something together but not to truly build anything without this new spiritual impulse. There are people, well-meaning people, who have a deep fear of the intensity of knowledge, the intensity of recognition that is sought through spiritual science. They have this fear for a very specific reason. I am not speaking to you of something that has just been imagined or reasoned out, but rather of matters of actual fact. These people say to themselves, how boring it would be if we knew all the things about human beings that spiritual science pretends to know, that there could be no hope of any new knowledge being acquired in the future. It is hard to know whether knowledge would be of any help to us at that point. It is a bleak picture of the future, these people think, in which everything is already known. I will not go so far as to say that this is a convenient stance to take for one who is too lazy to strive after knowledge. But I would like to point out to you that in the moment that you see through to the true nature of the human being in the manner made possible by spiritual science, only in that moment does it become possible for you to start thinking about social structures. You cannot build the foundation for any social structures without first sorting out some true knowledge of human beings. To make this clear for yourself, you need only say to yourself the following. Take a look at everything that plays a role in our society up to this point. We do not owe the existence of these structures to the clarity of our thinking. We owe their existence to the spiritual forces that emanate from our blood itself which were born out of the old blood ties, the blood relationships that once existed. To this day we still have in our society something that came into our world as a carryover from those old blood relations, which gave us the principle of nationalities, which found expression in that principle. The fact that one person refers to himself as English, another calls herself French, another calls himself Polish, this is rooted in all of the same things that established the connections between human beings built on direct blood ties. This principle of blood relations had a reason for existing throughout the millennia of human evolution, for it was these blood relations that brought humanity together, that formed the foundation of human society. At the beginning of the process of earth evolution, as you can read about in my title outline of esoteric science, 
Human beings were not so unified. Human souls, as you are aware, had come to earth from a wide variety of different places and honestly did not have much love for one another at first. They only learned to love one another because they were born into bodies that were related to one another by blood. In previous lectures I have spoken about how fiercely the anti-human powers, the Luciferic, Aramonic powers, fought against these blood relationships, this blood society of human beings. That was in ancient times. Back then people were dependent upon blood relationships to build society with one another. <clears throat> to believe that today we need only to translate these old principles of blood ties into abstract language, to believe that by abstracting these principles into fourteen points, we can then say, let everyone, even the most downtrodden, determine their own destiny. You must see how abstract and out of touch Woodrow Wilson is when he says such things. Today we must see this matter clearly. Things were that way. At one time, blood ties established the foundation for society among human beings. Now the anti-human, luciferic and aramonic forces are fighting in a different way. They are using blood ties to lead us astray. Just as Christ did not come to the world in order to banish the law from it, but rather to take the law into himself, so must we seek not to banish the principle of blood ties from the world, but rather to manage them in the appropriate manner. Whereas in ancient times the Aramonic and Luciferic forces sought to fight against blood ties in the human heart and sought to keep humanity divided into individual egotistical beings, nowadays it is the case that those same Aramonic and Luciferic forces are trying to lead human beings astray by making them build their society solely on the foundation of blood ties, even though the time is now ripe for us all to recognize that all human beings of body, soul and spirit that stand before us have come down from the spiritual world, come down out of that spiritual world, having already lived through a pre-earthly life, seeking the blood into which they intend to incarnate. And a feeling for this spiritual society must be continually developed. In pre-Christian times, the idea of reincarnation existed solely as a feeling, for a true knowledge of reincarnation only existed prior to the year 1860, before the arrival of Christianity. After 1860 BCE, it was known only as an instinctive feeling throughout all of Egypt, the Near East, and the Greco-Roman areas. Now the time has come, however, when the understanding of a human being as a spiritual being that undergoes a development between death and a new birth will grow into a living feeling, a living knowledge, a time in which one must live fully into an imagination of the more than earthly significance of the human soul. For without this imagination, the culture of the earth will die. You cannot take a practical action toward developing into the future unless you are able to have some perspective on the spiritual significance of the fact that every human being is a spiritual being. 
And we must add to that, as paradoxical as it may seem to people today, less paradoxical in theory, though I do not intend to make theories so much as parallels, certainly it feels paradoxical to people these days that we must learn not only to say, quote, as parents we take joy in the birth of a new child, we take joy in the new member of our family that this newborn child is, close quote. Rather, we must also learn to say, quote, no, we are only the means by which a spiritual individuality waiting to come into existence on earth finds the opportunity to do so. Close quote. This, the, the aristocratic notions of heirs and family lines, for example, must be seen as antiquated thoughts, and in their place must be brought the recognition of and feeling for the whole of humankind. Aristocrats to this day have the idea that it is their most important task to ensure the continued existence of their race, that the physical human being must have a descendant with the same name, this feeling must be turned on its head. And we must recognize that it is important to have descendants for the benefit of all of humanity, so that certain individuals who want to come down here to the earth may have a body into which they can incarnate. The antiquated feelings continue to live on in the aristocracy, in certain aristocratic families. These people must be opposed by a feeling for that knowledge of humanity as a collective. Only then will we be able to renew our understanding of the Christ. <clears throat> for he did not appear on the earth for the sake of any particular family, but rather for the sake of all humankind. He did not appear on earth for the sake of any one nationality, but rather for the sake of all humankind. He did not appear so that those who were able to call themselves the victors in a battle could erect nations of their own design, but rather so that the collective existence of humankind could be practiced within the framework of nations. These things lie at the root of all that is occurring in the world now, and things are such that everything which is trying to develop in earthly existence is being fought at its most fundamental level by everything that the vast majority of humanity still claims, what the majority of humanity still wants. But if people continue to live this way, they will only build things that lead society ad absurdum that make their continuing existence impossible. We must either come to understand this or wallow for a long time in the chaos that has seized Europe and the best way to perpetuate this chaos is to go on founding new nations. For all of these reasons, we must speak openly with whomever comes to power in the near future, in the physical world, about the enormous responsibility that has befallen us in these times. This responsibility is a fact. The English-speaking peoples of the world bear the tremendous responsibility of no longer suppressing the spiritual and continuing to see the world from Bacon's or Newton's perspective, but rather taking up the spiritual in its new form. Try to imagine that today Newton is standing before you, presenting his worldview, about which Hermann Grimm rightly said, quote, The way in which people are taking up this astronomical worldview that the earth and the whole system of planets came from a cloud of dust, 
a thin fog in space that spun and spun, that from this whirlwind then emerged plants and animals and people, and that one day the whole thing will collapse back into the sun. People are approaching this the way that a hungry dog makes circles around a tender pork bone, as though this worldview were something appetizing to eat. And sometime in the future it will take a lot of effort to understand that this Newtonian, this Kantian and Laplace system that people learn in school is cultural, historical nonsense. Close quote. In other words, people will ask themselves, how could it be that an entire age could be so crazy as to champion this worldview? Today it is still regarded as crazy when a person takes Goethe's side and opposes Newton, when one considers the physical phenomena of the world from the Goethean perspective. But everything relating to the task of these times is connected with this. There are a few people now who are beginning to recognize this connection, and I was pleasantly surprised to see it published in the most recent issue of our journal that my book titled Die Kernpunkte der Sozialen Frage has the same significance for social knowledge that the Goethean perspective once had for natural science. But just as people turned away from Goethe because he opposed the perspectives of natural science during that time period, so are people today turning away from the threefold social order. Why? It opposes that which is commonly accepted, just as the Goethean perspective once did, and consequently people are refuting this threefold social order. These matters might lead you to ask, what can a person do about all of this? The first step depends upon having a proper attitude toward these matters, upon a clear and matter-of-fact discussion of them. It depends upon all of us beginning to develop a truly deep interest in the affairs of all humanity. If we look back on the last four or five years, we find that never before has there been such an opportunity to get to know someone who knew all there was to know, because actually nearly every person knew all there was to know about everything. The Germans came forward and said they knew exactly who was to blame for the war and that in fact they were not at all culpable. The French came forward and said that they knew exactly how everything stood. The Italians had the long-standing sacro egoismus. People always knew exactly what was really going on. They had all their own perspectives. They had their own thoughts, their own ideas. It is more convenient to come up with ideas that have nothing to support them. People are French or Polish or Czechoslovakian by blood. And by this very fact, they have a particular perspective on life and on the form that it must take in Europe. They need only to do one thing or another to sense this in themselves, and all judgments that, make, that they make are simply reiterations of the judgments that they received. This is the great misfortune of our times, that without making any true effort, without having any interest in the affairs of humanity, people make completely unconscious assessments, judging this or that to be true, this or that to be essential. But the time has passed in which people can make unconscious judgments about what is or is not necessary. The time has come in which judgments can only be made 
out of an objective understanding of the facts, in which we must make a true effort to gain an overall understanding of the necessity of these times and of those things that the times demand from us. It tugs at your heartstrings nowadays to meet people who are only interested in themselves. For this self-interest is the great misfortune of our times, and the solution will come only if people, having experienced the awful things that have occurred in the last few years, truly say to themselves, we must take an interest in the affairs of all humankind. We cannot be satisfied with an awareness of those things that deal directly with us and the small circle of our people. These things come as a feeling directly out of spiritual science. And I speak them to you today in order to prepare for a few closing thoughts. You see, around you here, this building, which is the representation of our anthroposophically oriented spiritual science. You might have a feeling for one thing or another in the structure of this building. You would be right to do so. But only the person who has a correct feeling for this building is the one who sees in every one of its lines something demanded of us by the urgent necessity of these times. The one who sees that the building must exist as it does because our times demand one thing or another from us. Because one thing or another must be felt in relation to this column or that one, in relation to this row of windows or that row over there. Because it is necessary for humanity now to take this building what it is intended to be out of the entire structure of these times. And anyone who simultaneously feels, completely feels, into this entirely new style will recognize that it has absolutely nothing to do with something especially intended for this or that. Rather, it is oriented toward the whole of humanity. There is nothing in the whole of this building that an American or an Englishman or a German or a Russian or a Japanese or Chinese person could affirm as their own. It is not formed by the feelings of any one individual. I will not say at least by those who know. I will not at least by those who know, be called an immodest man when I say, quote, I know of nothing else like this building which is independent of individual human wills and leads to the most universal human knowledge and understanding that currently exists, close quote. But this must be taken up if the things that we intend to bring about for the future of humankind are to carry this future humanity toward salvation and not disaster. The end of Lecture 10.